Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. Welcome back, y'all, to our series on the church. On today's episode, I chatted with Elizabeth Woodson about unity in the church. We talked about what it means to be unified in Christ and to live on mission for the glory of God in our communities and various spheres of influence. Elizabeth said, One day it will be perfect. One day it won't be a struggle anymore. One day we will know how to love well. One day who God is and the things of this new kingdom will be written on our hearts. That it will just be who we are. And to me, that's what I rejoice in is In the good days and the bad days, Christ is making perfect and making new, but one day it will be perfect. And we will rejoice together as the church in unity, all different tongues and and, and tribes and nations, all different walks of life, socioeconomic, all different things. We'll worship our God together. So you'll know her a little better. Elizabeth is a passionate Bible teacher whose deepest desire is to know Christ and to make him known. She loves to teach the truth of scripture and to empower believers to experience abundant life with Jesus. On most days, you can find her hanging out at the Village Church, where she has the joy of working as the Institute Associate Minister, doing what she loves, writing, teaching, and developing leaders. Now, on to my conversation with Elizabeth Woodson on Unity in the Church. Elizabeth, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. I have to tell you, I have been lurking on you online. It's the typical way that us millennials like get to know each other these days. And I just want to jump through the computer and give you a huge hug. Oh, I know it's like the creepiest thing that I could possibly say, but um, I'm just, I'm, I'm ecstatic to get to talk to you today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Oh yeah, no, I am excited to be here and I'm a hugger. So if you jump through and give me a hug, I would receive that all the way. I could tell from the headshot that you would get a good hug. So I'm a good hugger. I am. It's a really good headshot too, by the way. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. So for those who don't know who you are, I became familiar with you through the Village Church, actually. Um, you've been on their podcast, Knowing Faith, Excellent Conversations. You're also the Institute Associate Minister for the Village, which I, I, I don't understand like everything going on over there about the Institute. And, you know, I hear about it on uh, the Knowing Faith podcast yeah, that you yeah. guys do, but I'd love to hear you just kind of explain a little bit more about what you do. But you're also just just for a little bit more backing, you're a Bible teacher, you're a seminary grad. Most of all, you're just passionate about following Jesus. And so we're just really excited to be here from you today. But could you tell us what do you do as the yeah. Institute Associate Minister for the Village? Yeah, I love my job um, because I have the opportunity to write and teach Bible and theology for our church members. And so my specific area, we have a couple of different, the Institute itself just serves as a space of Christian education for the members here at the Village Church. And so what does it mean for us to know what we believe, for the Bible to become accessible to us, um, and for us to live that out? And so there's a couple different spaces that we have in the space that I own are our core classes which are just introductory classes to the faith. I mean, you just came to Jesus yesterday or um, you've been walking with the Lord for a really long time, but don't know what you believe. And so my classes are the space you come into to just step onto the path of learning about Christianity and who we are as believers and what God, God calls us to. And so I get to write the curriculum for those classes, teach in those spaces. And I love it because I just love when the light bulb comes off in people's eyes. And they're like, I get it. Like I get what God wants me to do. I get what the gospel is about. I get what the story of the Bible is about. 
Um, and then I see them live and transform lives off of that. So that's really what my day looks like. It's a super sweet job to have, super thankful, because I get to live in my sweet spot. These students, they also have jobs. Is it people from any background, any age, or what? what is the yeah. makeup of the class? We have all different ages. We And most of our folks aren't are just lay people. So they're not mm-hmm. folks who are seminary graduates or even people who are looking to go into vocational ministry. And so they're showing up at night, 7 o'clock at night. Awesome. After they've had a long day of work and are digging into the word. And so it's just really cool to see the different variety of ways that God is able to take that information and impact the communities. We have business people, people in the medical field all over the place. And so it's really cool to see them take it from the church and take it back into the community, which is what God calls us to. Very cool. Well, actually, I think the greatest number of listeners that we have in any state is actually in Texas, probably a large uh, concentration of them in Dallas. So you guys should check that out, especially if you're attending the village. I just, I love your passion for studying the word. I actually really enjoyed reading about how you personally just became passionate about studying the word and communicating that um, to other people and how you, you, did you basically like sell everything? um, (laughs) I did. Go to seminary? (laughs) I did. Like you legitimately sold your belongings so that you could go to seminary. Yeah. I, everything that could fit in my car came with me. And then Outside of that, I gave it away or I sold it. So furniture and all the things and just trusting the Lord to do a new thing down here in Dallas, which he has done in a significant way in the past eight years. So it's been really cool to see how he's honored that sacrifice. That's right. Because you're from like up in the Midwest. Is it considered Midwest? Yeah, Chicago. And I'm going to tell you, in days like today, I am happy I'm in Texas. In Chicago. It's it probably was so very cool there. Yeah, you yeah. Know, one of the things that I noticed when I was reading through your bio is that you use this phrase like incarnational ministry. You mentioned that you got your first taste of incarnational ministry when you were actually up in Chicago, like you just yeah. mentioned. I love that phrase. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase, or maybe it's never just like stood off the page like it did when I was reading your bio. What do you mean when you use the term incarnational ministry? I mean, I think in some sense, I believe that's what the Lord called us all to. Um, I think it's this idea that we embody who Christ is in the communities that we live. And so that was a specific ministry, piece of ministry philosophy for the church that I was connected to, Lawndale Community Church in the west side of Chicago. The west side of Chicago is an underserved community. And so you're dealing with all sorts of hard life issues, whether it is substance abuse, you have folks being released from prison. And so they're coming and how do they reintegrate into the community? Um, you have issues with access to healthcare. You know, you just have all the different things, economic issues, social issues. And so how do we take what we read on Sunday and actually live it out with these people um, and teach people how to follow God in situations that aren't going to get solved overnight, that don't have easy answers, um, but we know that our Lord is present in them and the gospel is the answer for them. And so in some sense, it is being the church to the community and not just talking about what it's like to be the church. And so to me that you move into the community, the specific um, ministry, we would live in the community, we'd work in the community, and we go to church in the community. And so your neighbors would be your coworkers, and they would also be um, members of you at church. And so very much as you're doing life with people, and that's where I believe a lot of what it means for us to walk out the Christian faith comes alive. Yes. So you just nailed it. My question for you is like, what is God's design for the church? Yeah. I feel like you described that so organically. Um, do you have any thoughts that you'd like to add about God's design for the church? This entire series, just to flush it out a little bit, is all on the church. We've been talking about the local church, the global church, church yeah. history, all this different stuff about the church. So what is God's design for the church and what does the church actually reflect? Yeah, I mean, I think the church in some sense is supposed to be the physical representation of who Christ is, um, in some sense, who God is and what he came for. Um, And so you think about, especially I love Acts 2, 42 through 47. Um, You have that first century church right after Pentecost and what it looked like for them to model these behaviors that were based upon their beliefs. This Mm -hmm. community that was invested in loving others more than they love themselves and that no one was in need in this community, and that God added to their number day by day, and the word was taught and and preached, and and it was just this richness of, we know who Christ is, Um, we know who our Lord is, and what he came for, and the type of kingdom that he sought to establish, 
Um, you think about the Sermon on the Mount and just the upside down kingdom, this way of being that Jesus talked about that was so countercultural to what they were used to in that day and time and how that's who we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be physical representations of that new way of being that Christ calls us to and ushering people into this, into Christianity, ushering people into relationship with Jesus. Um, and so our testimony is not necessarily in us verbally affirming what we believe. I believe as much as us living out what we believe. The verbal affirmation is super important. But when people see us live different lives, that to me is what's transformative. Yes. I, my mind is just like going a million different places <laughs> because, you know, right now, I guess I'm like, obviously in this, the context of motherhood, you know, I'm, I told you oh, that yeah. I'm sitting here 39 weeks <laughs> pregnant and I actually do have a two and a four year old downstairs. And a lot of times people ask me like for parenting tips, methodology, et cetera. And all I can say is like, love God and you're going to parent well. And yeah. that's, I don't know when you're talking about that, I'm like, man, I feel like that's like as the church, like we're to love God. And then as we love him, we love others. And it's just like a really organic thing. But for some reason, well, maybe that's the question. <laughs> Why? Why, Elizabeth? Yeah. Why is it so hard? <laughs> and how does sin distort our ability you know, to um, live out our, you know, what we, what we say we believe. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think when we think about sin and as we see it described in scripture, it's this idea of missing the mark. Um, and so the idea of the mark that we're missing is what it means to live, love God and love others the way that God would have for us to, mm-hmm. you know, I think ultimately scripture is this large meta this large story about how God desires to dwell with his people. And we messed up at the very beginning of time. And so throughout history, God has been trying to repair that brokenness. Um, and part of what that brokenness exists in sin is this idea we live for ourselves and not for the Lord. And so it, ultimately it's a selfishness. That's what distorts our ability to reflect God's glory is we're more invested in our, what we want and who we want to be and what we want to yeah. run after. And without any regard of how that affects other people or even the Lord, um, instead of for us to ground all of those things in him and we can't reflect God's glory because we're spending too much time to reflecting our own. Um, and ultimately, I think that all the things we see in culture and all the things we see that are messed up and really, really sad about how we relate to one another is just grounded in our own desire to live for self and not for God. I mean, I cannot, re- I could not resonate with that more. I really couldn't because <laughs> I'm telling you, nothing has exposed that more to me than being yeah. a mother, particularly of toddlers who, you know, just, they're, they're always treading on what I'm wanting to do for myself. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's been so good for my heart because it's, I don't know, it's caused me to, you know, really be wrecked with the reality of my sin and my need for a savior yeah. more than any other, I, I think, role that I've walked in in my whole life. And yet, by God's grace, like I said, um, we have this hope of Jesus Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's word. I'd love to hear from you. How does the gospel actually do that for us as individual members of the church and as the church collectively? Yeah, you know, I think with the idea of the gospel, it's this good news, um, good news that Jesus has come to be able to be the savior that we need, the perfect sacrifice to repair this broken relationship we have with God, 
um, the good news of the gospel is that we get God himself. We get to be in relationship with our triune God. And so it is that relationship because God, Jesus calls us to a new way of being. Um, If you think about Matthew, when Jesus shows up on the scene right after he comes out of the, the desert and temptation and right after his baptism, the first command he gives is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's this idea of repent is not just turn away. I think we a lot of times we think about it, man, I have to turn away from my immorality, right. but is what are you turning to? And he's yes. calling us to a new way of being. And so once this relationship has been repaired, we're able to be in community with our God, then we're to reflect who he is. And that's what enables us mm. to reflect God's image more fully is because we're invested in being who Jesus calls us to be. We're learning We are growing spiritually through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're being sanctified and transformed to reflect the image of our creator. Mm, Yes. Karen Hodge was on the podcast a long time ago. We talked about being a life giver. Yeah. And she talked about how gazing at the glory of the gospel and like looking at who God is, what he's done for us through the person of his son, Jesus, how it's like leaning in and getting a good look at like a diamond or something. It's almost like the beauty of it just reflects off of our faces. And as you were saying, like that turning towards, I'm like, oh, yes. And that is what it means like to treasure God and to find delight and joy in who he is. And I, oh, Elizabeth, I just wish I could remember you know what I'm saying? Because so often I, I, I'm, a, I'm a perfectionistic personality. Um, I'm the oldest child. You know, you okay. the, I was like the president of my high school. You know what I'm saying? And why did I confess that? Um, <laughs> safe space is a safe space. <laughs> you're making me feel too comfortable with this like, stuff. But, um, you know, it becomes a lot for me about doing what's right. And just a very yeah. pharmaceutical, like I totally trend towards that older brother. Um, in the gospels. And so, so often I'll like, remember that piece that you brought out of like turning away from sin, but it's like, I'm not turning towards looking at God and just the lighting and who he is. And so often instead I'm looking to my circumstances or something like that to like bring that delight and that joy and to captivate my attention. And I just wish that I could remember that more fully, particularly in the context of like a, a church body, because I think a lot of times, I don't know if this has been your experience. I've mentioned this probably throughout this series multiple times, but when I come into a church, you know, Brooks and I have moved uh, maybe four or five times in the last okay. seven years. Okay. <laughs> We've been in a yeah. lot of it's just due to the transient nature of like the military. And not every church has been organic and easy for us to like yeah. connect in and with. And we're in smaller towns too. We're in military towns. It's just sometimes the context is different than the context that we came from or the one with which we're familiar or our ideal. And so <laughs> I think more than anything, like being involved in the church and really loving my brothers and sisters in our local churches has shown me so much of my own sin, so much of my own you know, back foot slash ugly warts. That's real. You know what I'm saying? So how does the gospel empower us to love one another deeply from the heart? Even when we're in a church, we're with other believers, we're in the context of community and it's actually really hard and it doesn't feel like, you know, I think we culturally just have these ideas about love being like fireworks going off and everything like being really kinetic and, and easy. But how does the gospel empower us to really love one another with all of our differences and all of our grievances and on all yeah. the things? Yeah, you know, because love is hard and people are messy and complicated. Um, you know, and I think it is, I used to lead singles ministry before I came to the village. And so singles, we always have this, um, we are trans, we're a transient community because we don't have to right. stick around. So <laughs> like, true. Oh, you're messy. I'm just going to kind of disappear. And that's just not what we're called to with the with the gospel. I think the gospel is ultimately that, and our idea of who God is, is that he loved us so much that to repair what we broke, he sends himself. Um, he was not deserving. Uh, Jesus was not deserving of to die on the cross. Um, but he did that for you and I. He did that for humanity. And so I think what motivates us um, or what grounds us is our motivations. You know, I think when I see or interact with people who man maybe it might be difficult for various reasons 
It's remembering first and foremost that we're made in the image of God. And so that person deserves, has inherent, inherent worth and dignity and that Jesus died for them too. And so it's this idea that what he calls me into is to love them as he's loved me. Mm. That's the standard. And that'll get under your skin if you <laughs> yeah. think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to die for them. What? Jesus, what, what, what you doing? And <laughs> it's the idea of it's, it's really sobering because it means you it can't is. get away from it. Like we're called, and I think there's wisdom in that, you know, there's wisdom in what it means to be emotionally safe and all those things. I don't think the Lord is sure. asking us to operate in spaces that aren't safe for us. But I think there's this idea that we have to push beyond, our motivation can't be our own personal comfort or this person brings me delight or pleasure. Um, it is that I'm called to love you even when I don't want to, because I don't live for myself, I live for the Lord. And if I love him, I love the things he loves and he loves you. And mm-hmm. that's the way I'm going to be. Um, and there's so, so many implications for that. Even the testimony that we have to be a change agent in someone else's life, because everybody's going yes. to their own battle. And for someone to see you love them when they know they're hard to deal with, that's transformative within itself. But it is, it's Christ's love for us is the motivation for us to love other people. Totally. I love how the Lord uses that experience that you just described, like the, the friction, like the rubbing up against one oh, another yeah. to sanctify both of us. Both of us that just makes sense. But for some reason when we're like sitting in the context of a community group and that one person is just like talking too much, or maybe you're like in the service and that one lady just sings so obnoxiously. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like my thoughts are not, (laughs) they're not focused on things of the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when we have tensions like that, and those are like trivial, like that's like yeah. everybody. I mean, I hope everybody. I don't hope everybody experiences that. <laughs> that's that's the reality of doing church with me. Um, <laughs> but when when we have maybe even like a more serious grievance, which sadly does happen um, in community, um, when we have conflicts, whether they're trivial or serious. How is the gospel put on display as we respond to those tensions in a Christ-centered way? And how does that like bring glory to God as we do that in a, in a, in a way that is sacrificial, like you mentioned? Yeah, you know, I think, because um, it's all grounded in, in us loving others, except the same way that Christ loves us. And so, you know, and I'm in conflict with someone, what's easy for me to do is for me to run to my own corner, for me to start running my mouth. And demonizing somebody else because now they're the enemy for me not to, like, you can't even hear what they're saying because, um, and a lot of times the woundedness is serious and significant. And so I don't want to be dismissive of that. Right. But what the gospel calls us to do is to push back, in some sense, our own desire to protect ourselves. Again, there's always wisdom um, about what safe safety looks like for us, both emotionally and sometimes physically. But it's this idea that I'm supposed to go to my brother or sister and I'm supposed to communicate directly with them. Yes. Um, I'm supposed to, m- my father always talks about, he's like, err on the side of love. Wow. Err on the side of love. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe you don't have all the information. Right. You know, it, it's those things that say, even though everything in this makes me want to paint you as a really bad person. For sure. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm just going to, sometimes, honestly, it's just communication. We right. don't communicate well with people. And we will jump to the end of the story before giving them an opportunity to say, hey, can we just talk about this? Man, I, 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 you said this and this hurt my feelings. Um, or this situation happened and I don't, I don't want to assume that I know what's going on, but can we just sit down and talk about this? It is clear in the air. It's taken the initiative to say, hey, I don't want there to be something between us because that's going to explode into something else. And so I think it is, how can I get beyond my own to honor my space of woundedness but to not allow my woundedness to to put me in a space where I'm not loving my brother. What does it look like for me to love them? And a lot of times it's to extend your hand first. It's to communicate, is to not, is to resist the desire to gossip or to draw conclusions and to trust. I remember one time I was one of my singles from my, from my previous church. And sometimes you have to trust the God in people when it's hard to trust them. Right. And to be able to say, I'm going to do those things that are really hard because that's what Christ calls me to. And fighting, I think to me it's a fight, fighting to stay in community with people when it's so easy to walk away. I just could not agree with that more because 
I find myself not approaching someone and instead kind of taking like a passive aggressive route Mm -hmm. or just dismissing them. So that's not loving, you know, just being like that lady's just crazy. So, but you know, you just not to dismiss, like, like you said, the work of the Holy spirit in their life and, you know, not to dismiss the potential uh, role that you have to play in that experience. And for sure, it's not just going to be them growing or whatever. Um, for sure, you're going to experience that yeah. growth as well. But for some reason, I don't know. I don't know if it's just like women in general. I don't know. Maybe that's like sexist, but... Um, no, we do. Yeah, we do. That's we so have hard own. for us. It's, like, it's hard for us. Just to have a, an honest conversation, speaking from personal experience, like it feels so much more daunting than it actually is mm-hmm. in practice. And yeah. um, I love how you brought out the piece of just like asking a simple question. I think that's a really like non-intrusive way to open up the door to a real humble, genuine like conversation in which you're just seeking to know and understand one another better. I mean, cause it is, I think, especially for women because we're extremely relational and um, it's kind of that heart space for us. And to just ask us, I think so many times that I haven't, you sit down and hear somebody's story and hear you were going through that at that particular time. And I had no idea. And that is why that happened. Now, we still need to address the situation because it still might be something that, hey, that's not okay. But man, there's, there is an understanding from me to you that I understand why that happened now. Because I understand part of your story. You're a person. Mm-hmm. You have, I enter into your humanity in the same way that Christ has done for us. And so I think to me, it's just the relationship is, I'm a super relational person. And then found um, many times the Lord just be to honor the times. I mean, I'm just going to connect with you on a relational basis. One-to-one. God loves you. He loves me. Let's fight to make this thing work. And he's been there. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when you take a step towards someone versus away. What does dinner time look like in your house? Is it a little chaotic and crazy like it is at mine? Let me tell you about Prep Dish and how they can help you simplify your evenings. You've probably heard us talk about Prep Dish in the past, and maybe you've thought, man, I just don't have time to meal prep. But let me tell you, with Prep Dish, meal prepping for the whole week honestly takes just about one hour with their super fast plan and about two hours for the gluten-free, paleo, and low-carb meal plans. If you need a change in how you handle dinner time at your house, you have got to try Prep Dish. You'll serve up delicious meals that your family will love like green chili burgers, Caesar salmon wraps, and apricot glazed chicken thighs. Right now, the founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial to try it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com forward slash journey for this great deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash journey for your first two weeks free. As I've already confessed in this podcast, like there are ample opportunities for people to confront me on all the things. And I just want to be like a humble recipient of that. Because honestly, like that's probably been one of the most instrumental ways that the Lord has really like shaped me and, and continued to make me look more like Jesus is just to have real honest conversations because so much of this stuff is like things that are just intuitive because of the way I grew up. Or, you know, the the cultural context that I'm coming from personally, like biases that I wasn't aware of that I maintain. So what do you think it looks like for us to not just speak like we we were mentioning, but also to receive truth in a way that honors our brothers and sisters in the context of all of our differences, whether that be like socioeconomic, uh, race, our preferences, which is a huge one perspectives, differing perspectives, maybe even theological perspectives, like how can we receive and speak truth in a way that honors one another? You know, I think it is, it's being a people in, who desire to live in humility. Um, yes. I think the recognition that I might've gotten it wrong, that I'm not perfect and that there might be space for God to be able to develop me and sanctify me through my brother and sister in Christ. And I think a lot of times our pride or our ego gets in the way. Sometimes we have a fear of rejection. And so we respond to 
pain or, or, or just heavy emotions in different ways. And so sometimes people just get really angry because they're just really fearful. And that we, because I think to be a person who speaks truth in love, and so you're saying, hey, I'm not pushing you away. I'm not rejecting you because of this. I'm saying this for the benefit of the family and the community, and I love you. And so I think when we do that, it makes it easier for the person to receive, hey, this isn't, you're not putting me in a corner. You're not going to embarrass me. I think like there's just so many ways to handle the fears that we'll have on the other side and receiving. And I think trusting to be able to recognize, is this what this person's saying true? Because everybody doesn't have the gift of giving information in a way that is um, sanctifying for our souls. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. let me put that aside. Is what they're saying true? And if it is true, and I want to be a better person, I want to love well, this person is basically telling me, hey, Elizabeth, this is how you can love me better. Or this is how you can love this community better. If that's my goal, let me lean into that. Um, let me bring that information to a trusted friend. You know, if I'm having trouble seeing, hey, somebody said this to me, would you say this is who I am? Or think these are the things I do and have somebody else co-sign on that. Um, but it is, if my goal is, and I think it's, sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's the foundation in which we live is my goal is to love God and to love other people well. And if that's my goal, that's what I'm grounded in. Then when someone brings me something and where I need to change in order to love well, then I need to lean into that and ask the Lord to humble my heart and protect the spaces that I feel are broken or I'm fearful in um, and say, in Christ, I'm going to be okay. He's going to take care of me. Let me just honor the word I'm being, the word that I am receiving and allow the Lord to, in the words of my mom, Keep the meat and leave the bones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is so good. It's especially good for somebody like myself who's just like hypersensitive. I just really struggle with that hypersensitivity. Do you have any recommendations for somebody who just like struggles with maybe maybe they're like me and they do. They have the gift of discernment or, and mm-hmm. they can just kind of perceive that that person just doesn't like them very much mm-hmm. or, you know, like they can see things maybe more deeply and it, and it can be painful and hard to engage in those conversations when you feel like there's so much more going on that's not even being articulated like how can you kind of you know develop not a thick skin but how can you come humbly like you mentioned and yet be protective of those spaces in your heart like you said the the tender areas you know what i'm saying that are like vulnerable places in you yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's not easy. It's not easy at all because I think it's a space of vulnerability and transparency. And in some sense, I think we fight to not be in as humans because um, it is the, a space where somebody can kind of get at the things that are most precious about who we are. Yeah. Um, yeah I think something that's helped me as I'm talking to people and they're giving me feedback about who I am. Um, I remember an instance in ministry and I it was, we just had situations of conflict. And so I was sitting around a table of people who, about 10 or 15 people who went around the table and said, hey, this is the problems that we have with you and the way that you're doing ministry. I was like, Jesus, be oh, a fan. my word. <laughs> and what those volunteers at that time needed is to be heard and to have what they felt be validated. Um, and so I think to me, it, a lot of times what I've done is just people have a story. And they feel the way they do for a reason. And the more that I can listen to them, the more I can learn about their story. When I can learn where things are coming from, sometimes somebody's response to me has more to do with them than it does with me. Mm-hmm. And as I'm listening, I realize this isn't my problem. This is something that's resting with you. And so how do I interact with that or engage that? Or it's the other way around. And I'm able to, I'm able to see the ways in which, yeah, that was hurtful. I can sit on the other side of the line. I can put myself in their right. shoes and the experience they had. And they're trying to help me not to do that anymore. And so in maturity, say, hey, this doesn't feel good at all. Mm-hmm. But how can I be better? I want to be better. I want to be a more mature believer. And how can I receive that? Um, and I think the more you do it, prayerfully, the better it gets. And just your discipline of saying, my identity is not in what this person thinks about me. My identity is in Christ. My worth is in Christ. I'm not any less valuable. This is not going to thwart God's plans for my life. I think all these things we that come into our minds that the enemy uses to really just derail us from 
how can I be a better member of the body? Um, But it is, it's listening because you have to be able to discern what's truth, what's not truth, where are they coming from? And can I put myself in their shoes? And can I understand and sympathize or empathize with what they're going through? And if I can, that's just helpful because that table situation I went through was really hard, but to put myself in the shoes of my volunteers and say, they needed to be heard today. And what's important for me is not to just be defensive and push back, but just say, hey, I receive what you told me. I think that's one of the most valuable things we can do is just say, even if we might not fully agree in that moment, I receive what you told me. Or that wasn't my intent to do that. I'm sorry that that happened. I didn't intend for that, but I'm sorry to say what you feel is real. I'm going to acknowledge that. And if needed, I'm going to take responsibility for that. Man, that is such a picture, too, of the gospel. You know, I mean, not to like make us look like heroes or anything, (laughs) but I'm just sitting here thinking like, wow, I know that there had to be like about a million and one things going on in whatever situation with you as the leader sticking your neck out there, you know, that you could have utilized to justify every single one of those qualms, (laughs) questions and concerns. But you just to say, you know what? Okay, like, yes, you know, and, and just to love them in that capacity. That's like really challenging to me as somebody who's like constantly looking to justify themselves, which I I need to, as you mentioned, look to only the justification that I've received through the cross of Christ. So how does coming together with all of our differences, all of our preferences, all of the stuff that we've been just kind of fleshing out, I'm sure everybody's like got these ideas in their own mind about what what's been going down at their church <laughs> uh, but how does worshiping together with all these differences bring the kingdom of god down to earth and uh kind of give us a picture like you said of that incarnational ministry that you described was going on in chicago yeah yeah and i think there's just so much value we value in worshiping together with all of our differences um it is hard. The church historically is something that we've always struggled with, mm-hmm. but there is something to be said. We learn about God from the way that he's revealed himself in scripture, both through through that and our lived experience, how I've experienced God, how he showed up in my life, how the Holy Spirit's illuminated scripture for me. And so for me to be able to share that with you and for us to learn from each other, to me, is is, is powerful in some sense. We're called to do life in community. My knowledge of God is made fuller by my experience in doing life with someone who experiences God differently. You know, I think still according to what we see in scripture, but just we just have different lived experiences. And so it's different things are highlighted in the way I do things and the way someone else might do things, or the way that, you know, I think about, you know, even worship music or something that's so simple. We can learn from each other. And I think that to me is what I've experienced because I have all these theological conversations and people who stand on different sides of the line. And so what can I learn from you? What can I learn from how you are in relationship with the Lord and the things that are important to you and your congregation? And what can can you learn from me? Um, and how can that enhance both of our relationships with God? And I think it, I honestly believe we have more in common than we realize. And it's easier to yeah. focus on the yeah. what differences we have. And not that the differences don't matter, especially on ethnic or racial lines that God made us different ethnicities for a reason. And that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, but within that, it is, we're, we're in our humanity. I think that there's more that we have in common and to, we tend to um, folk major on the minors and then just like, forget about the majors when it comes to what's important in the body of Christ. But just all that being said, we can learn from one another. And I think that's valuable. And the discipline of not always being comfortable I'm not always having it our way and to be able to be stretched in that is sanctifying within itself. How do you think we cultivate that type of, I just think of like biblical hospitality when you're describing that, like in our churches, if we find ourselves in a church that does look very homogenous, that doesn't maybe even offer an air of hospitality to someone who is from, whether it be a different cultural background or, you know, a different maybe, you know, socioeconomic status or something like that. How can we kind of be the bridge? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's such a big question, but is there something that we could do, Elizabeth, to just kind of take one step in that direction? Yeah, you know, I think about the areas of influence that a particular person might have in their church community, whether it is you have aligned to leadership or you just have aligned to the people in your small group. 
um, or whatever ministry you're serving in? And how can I influence these people to think differently, to be exposed to new information? Sometimes people have never been exposed to different types of um, speakers or different types of music or different types of experiences that might be even in their own community. Um, so I think most, a lot of our churches are homogeneous. And so how do we enter into community with people who aren't like us? And that's going to take effort, you know, for us to get up and go across yes. town or to choose to go to different stores or to what wherever we shop. Like, how do we open up our lives to include new influences, but to be a person who just challenges people to be different? Um, and I think sometimes that influence can be really large. And, you know, you're talking to your pastor and say, hey, have you thought about some of these things? And, you know, I think these things would be really valuable for our church community. And sometimes it's just saying to your small group members or the person, mm. as you're engaging in conversation to the person on the pew next to you, you model it with your own life. And so starting with yourself and then sharing that with the people that are around you. You're sharing this newness and this diversity that is rich and powerful and as you share that prayerfully, it becomes an authentic part of your church community. But I think it's just, it's yes. opening people's eyes to that, pressing them. Let's be a little uncomfortable. And that's what Christ calls us to, is to be uncomfortable. And I think just to acknowledge, too, that it just takes time. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, for us to like engage in that, that's something I've really, you know, just been convicted of as we like I mentioned a million times now, are military. And so we literally, Elizabeth, we live... <laughs> It was very, very interesting to me when I when we first became, you know, part of the army. But we live in uh, housing that's all rank specific. Okay, everybody has the same profession. You know, we are all the same age uh, for the most part within a five year kind of time span. Okay, um, so it's just very, very similar and yeah. so it's like like i can walk outside you know you often hear like love your neighbor i'm like well i do i love my neighbor but my neighbor is like basically the same person you know <laughs> so um i really i i think too not to discount if you find yourself in a situation like me where you know i've got two little kids one on the way and we live on post because we do believe that god has called us to be ambassadors for christ in the military but not to be discouraged if you feel like you're just so limited on time and to prayerfully ask him to give you opportunities to with people who are different than you. And I'm telling you, he does it in every city. And it's such an encouragement to me personally. It's also an encouragement, I think, to see my kids interfacing yeah. with people that are different because it's not, you know, when we're talking about um, hardship or whatever, my kids have people's names and faces to attach mm. that to because God in his kindness has seen fit for us to interface with the same homeless lady who lives in downtown Clarksville every time we go to Chick-fil-A, you know? Yeah. So yeah. stuff like that, where it's like, it may come in like such an unexpected form or fashion, even if I feel like I live a little, little bit of like an anomaly situation right here. Where it's, it actually is really, you know, really yeah. challenging to get around people from different backgrounds. So what is the joy? I just kind of described my personal joy. What joy do we experience as a church as we come together and we worship together despite all of our differences, despite, you know, all of all of the grievances that we have against one another? And, and then in that, what do we also have to look forward to as we um, experience that in a kind of like a clunky and imperfect sense right now? Yeah. And I think the joy for me and what I've seen is there's a beauty in unity that can't be expressed in any other type of community. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a beauty and depth in relationship. You have those kind of friends that, you know, you just kind of hang out and kick it with it every so often. But you have those friends that you, you've you been together through some stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's just a depth of connection yes. that you can't replace. And totally. you might not talk for a little bit, but you like these are my, these are people. Yes. So I think it's that. It's a depth of connection that is spiritual. It's like that shared hardship. Yeah. You know, my husband experiences that in the military and working through that in a really, yeah. <laughs> in a really yeah. potent way. And I think it, it's just like that. There, There is a depth of connection through suffering together, yes. um, through struggling together, coming out on the other side and say, I'm, it's this idea that I'm not giving up on you and you're not going to give up on me because Christ didn't give up on us. It's a covenantal love. And it's just beautiful because that's what we desire to be known deeply in our humanity 
And that type of unity creates a space for that um, and meets needs we have. And ultimately, I mean, we're bringing glory to the Lord. I think when it comes to what are we looking forward to, to me, even in because it's hard and it's broken and it's messy. And there are moments where the unity is, brings so much joy. And then sometimes you're like, look, I'm going to have to peace out <laughs> on y'all. <laughs> and then you come back the next day. So true. Yes. But it's this idea that one day it will be perfect. Yes. One day it won't be a struggle anymore. One day we will know how to love well. One day the who God is and the things of this new kingdom will be written on our hearts. Yes. That it will just be who we are. And to me, that's what I rejoice in is in the good days and the bad days, Christ is making perfect and making new, but one day it will be perfect. And we will rejoice together as the church in unity, all different tongues and and, and tribes and nations, all different walks of life, socioeconomic, all different things. We'll worship our God together. And to me, that's a beautiful picture that is beyond words to look forward to. So good. Amen. Amen. So what resources would you recommend if somebody wants to grow in their understanding of God's glorious design for the church or if they'd like to pursue, you know, any of the things that we talked about, kind of like reconciliation with a brother, sister, whatever resources you want to throw our way, Elizabeth, do it. Yeah. The first one I have is Horizontal Jesus by Tony Evans, my old pastor. Love Dr. Evans. And so this book is on the one another's. Okay. And the reality is there are dozens of one another's in scripture. And so what does it really mean for us to love each other? The Bible goes into the description of what that looks like. And so it's a really great resource. Dr. Evans is really great for putting things in your pocket, making the Bible and theology really practical. And so that's a great resource for people. And the last one is Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yes, you're just like <laughs> preaching to the choir. I, I've probably mentioned it so many times, but go for it. This is one of my favorites. You know, we would always talk about this um, when I was working in small group ministry and the idea that small groups are great for our churches, but I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have something to say about them. Yeah. Because we we put people together based upon gender or marital status. And that all that stuff's great. But to community, you learn yes. a lot about community when you are connected to people that you're completely different with. And in some sense, you have no choice to be in community with them. And so it's just practical explanation of what does that look like? What does it look like for us to lean into the hard spaces? And he is just one uh, classic voice that I think is just so rich for us to listen to. Um, so much wisdom. And so he's one that's just always on the list. I, I completely agree. And if you don't know the history of Bonhoeffer and yes. where he's writing from, the context from which he's writing, it's a really important thing to understand when you come to that book. So, but that's just been one of the best books that I've ever gone through in the context of our little communities that we've done. You know, I think we've gone through that book with like community groups in probably three different locations oh, wow. that Brooks and I have led just because we've found it so personally impactful. And Matt Lance, who we call the pod father, this is a guy who's been <laughs> on multiple times. He, uh, he encouraged us to think about life together in the context of our marriage. Mm. And that was really helpful just to read it through the lens of marriage. I've probably read that book eight times. Really good. One of my simple joys, for sure, is old Bonhofsky. What are three of your simple joys, Elizabeth? <laughs> you know, my simple joys are friends and family. I'm a single gal, and so friends and family are huge for me. And then good food and music. And when they all come together, my heart has come to life. Do you have a favorite restaurant that you'd recommend to us if we're traveling around the Dallas area? If you're trying to run the Dallas area, you got to get barbecue if you're here in Dallas. You just got to get barbecue. And so Pecan Lodge, it's in the deep Ellen neighborhood yes. of um, Dallas. That's they like literally the run place, out of place, right? Hip place. It's cool, trendy. They'll shut down because they run out of meat. Like, wow. it is so good. You're speaking my husband's so language good. right now. Yeah. So there's he probably somebody it. who's like, no, I have a better place. I love Pecan Lodge. You won't be mad you went there. So if you go to Dallas. We will definitely check it out. I know for sure old Brooksy baby will because one of his three <laughs> simple joys is smoking meat. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> oh, well, that's so wonderful. Elizabeth, our hour has gone by way too fast for my oh. liking. I love it when I find a kindred heart who, you know, the time in the closet is just like so organic and easy, particularly yes. one. I mean, I'm 39 weeks pregnant. I can, and I can say that with you in, in a genuine <laughs> uh, way right now. But 
you know, the journeyman podcast was really started as a result of me wanting to connect women that I was interfacing with all across the nation with um, friends and mentors who had been influential in my own walk with the Lord. Um, and then it kind of expanded to people who like yourself, who have impacted me and my journey with Jesus at a distance. And so I would love just for the listeners to get to hear from you, who is it that's had the greatest impact on your personal journey with Jesus? And this is a hard question. And it's a good reason it's a hard question because the Lord is just blessing with a lot of really mm-hmm. wonderful people. Um, and I think I, I always come back to my parents, um, just strong believers and just have really been impactful in my life. I think I'm going to choose my mom today. Love my dad, but I think my mom's going to win today. Um, my mom has just these great one-liners that she has taught me over the years. I'll talk to her and she said, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what to do. Do what Jesus tells you to do. <laughs> you know, but I think she's always ingrained in me, whatever you do, trust the Lord. Yes. Trust the Lord. Have faith, have faith in him whatever you do. And so I've lived by that in some really major ways and it's been transformative. Simple truth that to me has had huge impact for my life. So wonderful. Well, Elizabeth, this time has definitely been impactful. I will treasure it and I am so grateful for it. Thanks for joining us on the show. Oh yeah, I love it. I felt like I was sitting across the table from Elizabeth just having a cup of coffee. I did not want this conversation to end. Hey, if you want to continue hearing from Elizabeth, head over to the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com where you can find all the information on how to connect with her as well as the resources that she recommends. We are so excited to hear your feedback on this series and how it's encouraging y'all to pursue local church involvement and service for the glory of God. If you've been enjoying these conversations, we'd love it if you just take time to share them with a friend or write a review on iTunes. Our team reads every single review. Listen to this one. Krista said, I grew up in a home that believed in God, but didn't have a relationship with Jesus. The Journey Women podcast has helped teach me how to build that relationship and what it looks like to be a woman of faith and glorify God. For somebody who didn't grow up in the church and is new to learning how to live for Jesus, this podcast has been so helpful and inspiring. Thanks, Krista, and all of you who have taken time to write a review for us. Hey, if you want to connect with us throughout the week, head over to at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. So you know, this episode was edited by Chris Mann and the Pod Shaper team. Hey, it's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. I can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Oh,